Political Science Specialist at the University of Toronto. I have been inspired by my new 421 Haitian Revolution class offered by the Caribbean Studies Department at the University of Toronto to discuss the pivotal role of women in the Haitian Revolution. It as follows that the title of this podcast is The Pivotal Role of Women of Color in the Haitian Revolution. The base of this podcast will stem from the journal article written by Philip Gerard titled Rebels of the Cause, Women in the Haitian War of Independence, 1802 to 1804. This podcast will be organized in the following ways. First, we will discuss the role of women and sexualization in Saint Dominique in the period of 1802 to 1804. Second part, we'll discuss why the sexualization and position position of women of color was so significant to the Haitian Revolution. Third, we will discuss the role of Haitian women in the heat of the revolution, including their involvement in the armed conflict itself. Without further ado, let's get straight into it. Part 1. The Role of Women in St. Dominique in 1802-1804 By 1802, the women of St. Dominique had a very well-established reputation for sexuality. This arose mostly because of the institutionalized form of patriarchy that stemmed from the colonial system. The colonial system had castigated women of color in St. Dominique as prostitutes while ensuring that interracial sexual intercourse could only take the form of an affair because whites could not marry their slaves or free women of color. Furthermore, the island had a reputation for its hot tropical climate, which was often cited as the cause for sexual hyperactivity, leading to fears of white Creole women that would eventually adopt the lifestyle languages and habits of their slaves. As part of a way of institutionalizing patriarchy and controlling sexual activity, the colonial system had enforced stricter moral and racial norms in St. Dominique, and this was integral to Bonaparte's pre-war planning. Bonaparte's soldiers and officers, however, had no intention of really ending St. Dominique's famously extroverted sexuality, which they considered actually one of the major benefits of joining the expedition in the first place. Bonaparte, who remained in Paris as his troops sailed away, was unable to alter the sexual norms prevalent in the colony. If anything, the unequal sex ratio in Saint-Dominique had prevailed after the landing of French troops, only adding to the fiery mix. Therefore, it is important to note that the over-sexualization of women of color in Saint-Dominique did not stem from the women themselves, but rather stemmed from the communal system and those that perpetuated it. Moreover, it was women of color who were noticeably more punished for this in contrast to those of the imperial power. Drawing from the writings of John Garrigus, Garrigus argues that the military's reputation as a depraved seductress was invented in the 1970s by whites who feared the growing influence of the free colored population and accusations of promiscuity to cast aspirations on the moral worth of mixed race individuals of both sexes. In addition, 
Garraway noticed that the colonial laws restricting interracial sex punished the color partner and not the white planter on the grounds that they were naturally the way they were, while women of color tended to be more punished for this. This was another way of reinforcing racial prejudices. At this point, maybe wondering why the sexualization of women of color in St. Dominique was so significant. Why the control of sexuality of women in particular was used as a colonial tool. In this section, we will discover the two key reasons as to why the sexualization of women of color in St. Dominique was so significant, as well as looking at the implications of this. The first reason is money. In St. Dominique, affairs were not simply just about sex, but also just about the money grab. St. Dominique was by far France's richest colony, and much money was at stake in deciding who would control the land that was so fruitful for the French. Hence, the reason for control of women and sexuality came about this way. In the 18th century's laws discriminating against illegitimate mixed-race offspring, they were not merely a product of a moralistic and racist bias against mistresses, bastard, and administered races. Instead, they're actually designated to ensure that the legitimate, that is, those of whites or the French, spouse and children would inherit the valuable sugar estates. In other words, a way of controlling who gets property or who gets money was by ensuring that interracial sex and relationships were canceled out to avoid the prospect of having the color populations gain any prosperity and economic gain from such relations. Another reason in regards to money is that the French officers who seduced and married orphaned Creole women in 1803 did so not out of fascination of Creole sexuality, but also to inherit the substantial amount of estates that had belonged to these Creole women that they had often inherited from the passing of parents. In other words, these French officers were using the tool of sexuality to take advantage of women of color and essentially for their own economic gain. In other words, a big part of the sexualization of women of color in St. Dominique was heavily tied to the economic perspectives that the French saw and the ability of controlling not just sexuality of women, but also their economics. The second reason that the sexualization of women of color in St. Dominique was so significant was because sex represented power. The control of sex essentially meant that the, in the control of power. For instance, the ultimate symbol of a planter's domination of his female slaves in colonial times and as a dynamic show of powerlessness of his male slaves was the planter's ability to have sex with a slave of his choosing. While on the more political side, no planter's interest in mistresses of color had led to a rivalry between female planters and the colored rivals for sentimental but also political supremacy in the last years of colonial rule. For example, Louvitcher's escapades during his tenure as governor of St. Dominique, often viewed as hypocrisy on the part of moralistic statements, may be analyzed as a personal revenge for a former black slave whose wife Suzanne had born a mixed blood child. Furthermore, the ability to gain access to a woman's sexual favors served as a measure of one's position in colonial society. For instance, 
The severity of Bonaparte's instructions regarding white prostitutes was also an indication that interracial affairs had to be denied to black officers to symbolize their lesser status. A third reason as to why the control of sexualization of women of color in Saint-Dominique was so significant was that women were used as a bargaining chip in conflicts involving military and civilian authorities. For example, a tug of war pitted Grand Judge Ludot to his subordinate Judge Minuti. The food began when Ludot obtained the position of Grand Judge, the island's highest official judicial officer, and that Minuti had coveted for himself as a longtime resident. The fact that Minuti's wife was actually the key prize in the two women's turf symbolizes how women were used as a bargaining chip to solve conflicts during these times. As temperances and bargaining chips, women's roles were fairly limited. It often invited male attention that was often negative and occasionally being drawn into political conflicts of which they had no control over, as seen as in the example of the two judges. Nonetheless, scholars such as Arlette Gartier have shown that some women of color have actually used their position in society and utilized interracial sex to gain significant sway in Caribbean slave societies. For instance, in 1802 to 1803, some women walking in the footsteps of slave and free-colored women of the pre-revolutionary era concluded that sexual favors were valuable product that they could trade for money, power, and mercy for their loved ones. For example, in November 1802, Amula Trees obtained her mother's release from a ship in Cap Francis Harbor, which was quite a feat at the time considering that rebels were besieging the city and that Lecrec had ordered in the panic that all people of color be drowned. This goes to show that in colonial times, slave women had been at times been able to willingly trade sexual flavors for important rewards, such as ammunition, which men of color at the time had could rarely obtain. It is important to note, however, that due to the added, added control of sexuality and women's bodies, women tended to be more burdened by the effects of patriarchy and what it entailed in contrast to men of color. For example, pregnancy and a master's sexual demands were added burdens that male slaves did not have to endure. According to scholars such as Garraway, that have encountered that, far from being mitigated factors in structures of oppression, desire and sexuality contributed to fundamental ways to practice and ideologies of domination that were particularly felt by women of color. In summary, we have gone over that the sexualization of women of color in St. Dominique was significant because, one, it often intermingled with money and economic affairs, and two, that sex and control of women's bodies often led to power. This has led to the two key implications that one, women of color used interracial sex to gain significant sway in Caribbean slave society, and two, that women are burdened by the effects of patriarchy in contrast to men of color. In this second section, we will look at the role and direct involvement of women of color in the Haitian Revolution. This section is especially dedicated to the women of color because of 
the consistency of having women overlooked in the contributions to the Haitian Revolution. In the writings of the Haitian Revolution, there's also often a direct focus on the contributions of men. For instance, in Black Jacobins, C.L.R. James often looks at the contributions of male figures towards the resistance movement in Saint-Dominique. However, this section argues that women have made numerous contributions that were fundamental to the success of the Haitian Revolution in the combat against the French imperial power. Once again, drawing from the readings and writings of Philip, I will argue that even in the fluid environment typical of guerrilla wars, women often found themselves in the midst of a combat zone in which their contributions were significant and often needed for the success of the resistance movement. Before going into the roles, it is important to understand where the women of color in Haiti came from. The women of color in Haiti came directly from Africa, although enslaved and forcefully brought into the region. According to Philip, the standards of female behavior imported from Africa are thus of great importance in understanding the conflict and the involvement of women in the conflict. Despite the common assumption that African women played no role in warfare, Philip argues in West Africa, particularly in Dahomey, women often served in combat. Dahomey invaded the Al-Aladi kingdom in 1724, around the time when Louverture's father was captured and shipped to the New World as a slave. So Dahomean precedent may have influenced Louverture's views on women's roles in wartime. Therefore, this leads Philip to argue, and I also agree, that there is a chance that what the African women who were brought over to Haiti had learned and had adopted while they were living in West Africa could have also been adopted in the combat in the Haitian Revolution. It follows that women that came from West African regions that particularly served in combat may have also done the same in the Haitian Revolution. Now that we understand exactly where these women came from, we will now look at the role that these women played in the revolution. Women of color played three key roles in the revolution. The first key role that they played was as resource suppliers. Obtaining food supplies while denying them to the French was the key to the rebel victory. And women, traditionally responsible for tending families' gardens in sub-Saharan Africa, fulfilled this crucial logistical role while in Haiti. Women also helped carry ammunition and cannons to the rebel groups. Often, this ability for them to carry these goods became about because of their subtle roles in society. For example, some women prostituted themselves to French soldiers in the towns, asked and asked for cartridges as payments, then passed the ammunition to mountain rebels. As you can imagine, the ability for women to gain these ammunition, for instance, and to be able to supply them as we saw supplies to mountain rebels, was crucial to ensuring the success of the Haitian Revolution. The second role that women played in the revolution 
which I would personally argue is the most fundamental and one of the most crucial roles that they played, were that women were uniquely suited to be spies. Due to the subtle yet key sociopolitical position that women were placed in Saint-Dominique society, women were uniquely suited for espionage. For the following reasons, women were kept in different positions that enabled them to be key contributors to the revolution. To the end of the war, the French kept a significant number of women of color serving as prostitutes, maids, merchants, and other roles of servitude that enabled women to easily act as double agents that would enable them to spy on the French as well as supplying information to rebel forces. For instance, women of color in markets, similar to today, uh, had the task to carry messages from their towns to rebellious interior under the guise of commercial ventures. Furthermore, the French themselves used women of color as messengers when negotiating with rebels. Another an example would be that town women also hid officers of color scheduled for execution. As it can be seen, the particular roles the women played, whether as prostitutes, maids, merchants, or even as messengers, were especially crucial to supplying information to rebel groups and enabling them to be, serve as double agents so for the success of the revolution. In fact, women often risk their lives in dangers of spying. For example, Henriette, a woman of color arrested in Camp Francis as she was leaving from rebel camp, was not so lucky. Accused of treason, she was hanged in December 1802 on the main market square, likely as a warning to female merchants because of her espionage. The fears of women of color, in fact, because of their ability to spy, was feared by the French. Information about the situation inside French towns was sensitive, and the rebels could, at the time, use their attacks to coincide with periods when the garrison was depleted. French thus adopted a set of countermeasures, most of them actually aimed specifically at women, to limit their freedom of movement and to avoid the passing of information to the rebel groups. For example, Leclerc's regulations governing plantation laborers specified that women workers could not marry men working on another plantation. Presumably, this was because it would, give, it would not give a reason for women to go from one plantation to another and to avoid the spread of information and espionage. Another example includes that when Rochambeau passed a decree in January 1803, this time he aimed it towards urban black women. Under a strict pass system, Women who could not justify where they were in town could be sent to prison. In this way, they were trying to stop the flow of information. Fearing a rebel attack against Cap Frank, the commandant of the town garrison sent out patrols to gather out all gatherings of blacks and force all women back in their houses, especially those, especially women of color. In this way, the role of women as spies was so key that the French went out of their way to try to limit their ability of movement and to try to stop the flow of information from the towns and into the rebel groups. 
stemming from this, it's key to see that women were fundamental to the success of the revolution and for ensuring the rebel groups were always had supplied adequate and key information that would help enable their attacks. The third role, and I would argue the most overlooked role that women of color had directly been involved in the revolution was women of color as combatants themselves. This was the most surprising in the eyes of Europeans that women of color had actually joined in actual combat since the onset of Saint-Dominique's slave revolt in, 19, in 1791. For instance, in the writings of the same area three months later, Dessalines, who was then brought, who was then fighting for the French side, boasted that he had captured many women and children among the fighters and had given no quarter to those found with guns in their hands. This signifies that women were directly involved in combat and were actually on the front lines alongside men in the resistance movement in Saint-Dominique. For instance, other cases show that female warriors belonged to armed bands that fought independently of low-richers. And then at the time, th those that were usually referred to as Congos, Maroons, or Africans, those that were believed to have come from West Africa, may have been abided by the gender norms from back home and regarded female participation in the war as key and also deriving from the nation of origin from West Africa. Tying to our earlier point, it is likely that the women and the women that were involved in the Haitian Revolution or those that were directly involved in combat had adopted the same norms that they from back home and implemented onto, into Haiti and directly involved themselves in combat. I would further argue that in some ways, fighting was probably even more dangerous to women than for men. As women of color took over strategic roles like provisioning, espionage, and direct combat, women are also directly exposed to more dangers than in contrast to women, men of color. For instance, dangers included sexual assault as well as other forms of gendered attacks. Nonetheless, this did not stop women of color from going directly on the front lines. And because the French also recognized the dangers of women, the French actually commanded and concluded that they were fair game for execution as well. In summary, I have gone over the key roles that women have directly played in the Haitian Revolution. Before going into the roles, I went over how the importation of women's roles stem from Western Africa and directly imported to Haiti on account of the slave trade movement. However, despite the slave trade movement, that did not stop women from adopting or practicing the same norms that they had back home, particularly from West Africa, and adopting them and employing them in Haiti. And in particular, the norms that involved women serving in combat. This leads us to look at the role of women directly involved with the revolution. The first role was women as resource suppliers, which included their role in carrying ammunition, for instance, alongside trading things from the French soldiers in order to give supplies to the mountain rebels. The second role, which I argued was one of the most fundamental roles, was women involved as spies. Due to their unique positionality, whether as prostitutes, maids, and merchants, women were key, were key in being information suppliers, whether as passing messages from the French to the rebel groups, 
or even in, in acting as double spies based on their roles. The third role, which I argue is often the most overlooked role, is the role of women of color as combatants. Stemming to the, and tying to the earlier point, women may have been directly involved in the front lines alongside men, which tended to be most surprising in the eyes of Europeans. This especially comes from the writing of Dessalines, who boasted that many women were found among the fighters and some of them found with guns. In summary, in this podcast, The Pivotal Role of Women of Color in the Haitian Revolution, I have gone over the positionality and role of women in Saint-Dominique, as well as analyzing their direct involvement, especially of those women of color, in the revolution. In the first part of this podcast, I went over how the role of women and hypersexualization of women of color in Saint-Dominique was characterized by the institutionalized colonial French system at the time. In the second part of the podcast, I went over why the sexualization of women of color was so significant in Saint-Dominique. I went over how it was significant for three reasons. The first being that the sexualization and control of women of color's bodies often meant the control of money as well as ties to, to their economic gain. The second reason was that sex represented power at the time in Saint-Dominique. And the third was that women were often seen as bargaining chips for men in solving conflicts. I also went over how these reasons often implicated women and what it meant for the positionality of women of color in the Caribbean island at the time. Lastly, in the third section, I analyzed the role of women of color and their direct involvement and contributions to the Haitian Revolution. I went over how the background of these Haitian women, stemming from all the way from West Africa, and the three key roles in which they played. First, as resource suppliers for rebel groups. The second, as spies. And the third, as direct combatants in the Haitian Revolution. I have based my reasonings from the journal article by Philip Gerard in Rebels with a Cause, Women in the Haitian War of Independence between 1802 to 1804. It is my hope that with this podcast that we are able to see that women were not just merely on the sidelines before and during the revolution, but rather played a key and fundamental role in securing the freedom of St. Dominique and in attaining the freedom for slaves.